0: I always give a title to my messages, and usually I like a really creative title that is totally mysterious, and this one's going to seem obvious at first, Wonderful Counselor. Now, what I really wish is I could take just the comma out of there for you and just say he's a wonderful counselor, because we're talking about God here, but in Isaiah, the statement is he's wonderful, and he's also a counselor. Of course, we can blend them together anytime we want, but that's, I'm giving you a scripturally accurate title here. And uh, I would like to address something this morning that is maybe a little unusual for some of you to hear. Which I, I guess, just hang around Eric Ludy for any length of time or Leslie Ludy, you're bound to hear something that you're not used to hearing, and it's usually <laughs> a little uncomfortable. I I fail at the job of making people want to come here because they just want to hang out on a Sunday. People that usually are drawn to this environment are hungry. They want to be pressed into Jesus Christ. And there's nothing in this world that's doing it. And so it's up to the ministers of the gospel, it's not just me, that's you, to press people into the kingdom, to show them the beauty and the majesty of Jesus and say, as long as you hold on to your life in your terms, life will not work. He's the solution. So this message, in a nutshell, if I was going to give you a sneak peek, Jesus is all in all he is the solution for every single problem on earth I want you to know that there and you already probably know this but whatever problem you could have did you know that the world has an answer for it there is some earthly solution for every single issue you could come up with just think about it real quick I mean if you have a financial issue there are plenty of people you could go to there are all sorts of credit cards you could take out and maybe extend your debt a little further to try and compensate for your issue there are so many things you could turn to If you have some issue uh, in the brain, there's places you can go. If you have some medical issue, there are places you can go. If you are feeling insecure, there are places you can go. If you struggle with depression, there is medication that you can take. There is an answer that the world has for every single thing known to man. This is going to maybe be a paradigm shift for you, but I would like to present an idea. And this is what I'm going to spend our time on today. That Jesus is the answer for every single human ailment. That does not mean that God cannot use a human counselor to help us. But we have a tendency to turn to the human version or the human variety of a solution as opposed to God. And the issue at stake in Christianity is that Jesus is not our all in all. We can sing that he's our all in all. We can proclaim that he's our all in all, but on a daily basis we prove to this world that is looking on that he is not the church's all in all. So I would like to present an idea, and that is that what if we begin to press ourselves into a different mold and we begin to allow Jesus to be bigger in our lives. We allow him to take on roles that we have not ever turned to him for. Leslie over this weekend was talking about entertainment. We turn to Hollywood. We turn to television. We turn to magazines. We turn to books as a source of fulfillment, as a source of escape, because we're so tired. We're so burdened. But it says of, of our God that at his, right hands are, at, at, his, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The point that most of us would have to admit is we don't believe it. I mean, God, is, he's a nice guy, and you know, he's done this whole saving work for us, and we can get to heaven but I don't really want to have to lean on him for my satisfaction of soul and my pleasure. I mean, that sounds a little dull. That's because you don't know your God yet. Because when you begin to know your God, you begin to realize that he is all satisfying. Leslie and I went through a test period of our life about four years ago. See, I love sports. And sports is a very satisfying thing to me. I don't know how it works. You know, it's sort of a strange thing. But, you know, a great tackle or a great open field, breakthrough run. You know, it's like, go, go! Ah, yeah! And you just start yelling at the screen, and that's when my mom would usually come in and say, Eric, you know, if you're screaming that hard for the Broncos, how much louder should you be screaming for Jesus? <laughs> you know, we don't like a statement like that. But it's interesting, because Leonard Ravenhill said that in our culture, and Leonard Ravenhill, one of those great, mighty revivalists of old, he's no longer alive, but he said that the problem with the American church is that we're turning to a counterfeit A substitute for God. We turn to Hollywood and movies and sports instead of to God for our satisfaction. Well, that struck me straight in the heart. Same with Leslie. We're like, whoa. Now, see, I had given up sports a long time ago. See, because Leslie doesn't really like sports. And so I didn't watch sports like I used to. It's not like I didn't have a game every now and then. And when I'd wash the car, I'd turn on the Bronco game. And Leslie, that was fine with Leslie. It wasn't an intrusion into our life because I was washing the car. Right? But then I would still have my Yahoo, and it would come up with sports scores every day. You know, and I arranged it so the teams I wanted to know about, they came up. It's very handy. So I didn't have to watch the, the game, but there was the sports score, and then there's a little thing next to it, it F, with a little line under it. All I had to do was click on it, and the whole game was before me. I could find out all the details about it, everything. You see, there was a certain satisfaction I gained. I love statistics. It's ridiculous, I know, but i love to know what the, you know, the, the, the batting averages are. I mean, who cares about this stuff? For some reason, I do. And God was dealing with this. And it's like, Eric, are you willing to find what you are looking for in that? Information. I want to just have information. I want to know what's going on. Are you willing to come to me instead of to that? Are you willing to try it, Eric? Because I will prove myself to you. So I did. I literally gave up sports, not in the sense of watching because I'd already done that, but in the sense of having to follow and know all the details, because I love that. I mean, I just love it. So there I am, and I'm focused. I'm giving it up, and I'm praying instead. All that time I would have been spent there, I'm, I'm praying. I'm focused on Jesus Christ. Well, guess what, what happens in Colorado at that exact time? The Colorado Rockies, who are the worst team in Major League Baseball, suddenly become the best, And I'm really fascinated by this. Everywhere I go, I'm hearing about it. It's like, no, I'm going to stay focused. And then they get to the playoffs, which is impossible. Anyone in Colorado knows that. Impossible. Okay, I know that. That's going through my mind. That's an impossibility. This is a test. This is only a test. (laughs) So I told Leslie at that time, I go, watch. They're going to go to the World Series. Just watch, because I'm going to have to walk this. I'm going to have to stay focused, and I'm not allowed to look. And and it was like the ultimate juicy thing sitting over here, and I had to stay focused over here. It's like, oh, I'm not looking over there. Here's what I found. I found that there's a world series with God. There is something so satisfying in his presence. All I can say is, I've proven it to my own soul. You have to prove it to yours. And the only way to do it is to begin to turn to him instead of this ridiculousness around us in this world. Because there's a counterfeit at every turn. Everywhere you go, there's going to be an earthly solution for something that can only be met at the depths of our being with Jesus Christ. You may be thinking, if I could just get married, marriage is a wonderful thing. So I'm going to even talk about things that are good. There are wonderful things in this life that God even takes delight in. But if we look to them for our satisfaction, our security, the solace of our soul, we will be missing the truth. And that is that Jesus is meant to be our all in all. I don't know if I've given most of my message away. We'll see. Let's uh, go to our first uh, scripture here. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There is one who will come. The Jews knew it. He was coming, and he will be so grand. The entirety of the government can rest upon one man's shoulders. Who is this that he could carry so much weight? And I could turn out to you and say, he can carry so much more weight in your life than you realize. We have a tendency to give him one little portion of our life and say, okay, you know, my eternal salvation. It's like, God, can you handle that? He looks back and he says, I can handle so much more. Will you trust me? Will you trust me to carry the government of your life on my shoulders? I am the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know what peace means in the Hebrew? The removal, the eradication of all enemy faction. The enemy can have no ground and no territory in your life because he is the Prince of Peace. Peace. There is nothing that can stand against the glory of God at work in your life because he has done the work. He is your Messiah. You turn to him and you say, carry the government upon your shoulders. Carry the government of this church, my family, my marriage upon your shoulders. You do it, God. Let's go to the next scripture. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. I really like this scripture. It's really intriguing to me. You see, the term counsel, we have this idea of a counselor today. Now, if I were to describe what's a counselor today, well, that's someone you know, like when you're really defeated and you're really feeling depressed, you're really insecure, you have anxiety attacks, whatever it is, you go to a counselor, okay? That's what most of us would understand it as. The Hebrew doesn't use it that way. So we see words like he's a counselor, and so we're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come to Jesus with my woes. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he is a good person to come to with your woes. But the point is, that's not how the Hebrew uses it. That word is more, he's a comforter, okay? He's a comforter, he's one who takes you in and says, I'll protect you. That's a different concept though, but we use the word counselor and it's it's a different concept in the Hebrew. You know what a counselor is in the Hebrew? It's one who literally stands by the side of a king and shows him how to win the battles. You are in the midst of a battle and you need your counsel. You need to be trained and equipped to fight the battles in your life so that you are a victor and not defeated. That's the concept. You're being trained for war. That's why I like this scripture. Let's read it again. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. I just like that. It's a manly type of uh, verse. But I want you to realize what it is showing is that you are being trained for war. And this counsel that comes from your God is equipping you not to just somehow survive and to just make it through this existence. He's patting you on the back, hugging you all along the way. He's saying, stand up, quit yourself like a man, and fight. I have given you everything you need to show the enemy that he has nothing on you. He has nothing on your family. He has nothing on your marriage. He has nothing on the church of our day. Stand to be strong for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's good counsel. Here's what good counsel is. Good counsel, if you're going to be a counselor for anyone in this life, you take them back to the all-in-all, Jesus Christ. You never become a substitute for it. Your ideas and your human cunning and your wit, get it out of the way. There is only one solution for the ailments of men, and that is Jesus Christ. We have a tendency to want to be the solution for people. We love to be needed. We love it when people say, you've been so much to me in this time. I just really want to say thank you. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with being strong for someone in that time. However, the last taste everyone should have in their mouth after they experience any encounter and any time spent with you should be Jesus Christ. I remember my sister saying that. She said, my desire is that whenever I meet someone, even if they forget my name and they have no clue who I am, that they remember Jesus. That's good. I like that. That's Christianity. Remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist was known, and this is a, it, was a, it was a Hebrew understanding, but he was a friend of the bridegroom. And the way that it would work is the, the bridegroom would propose to his bride in the Hebrew culture, and they would be betrothed. And they would have entered into a covenantal agreement. And then that bridegroom would go off and prepare a place. And then when he was finished building it, he would come back for his bride. Well, this is obviously very similar to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ proposed to his bride, that's what the Holy Communion was, and then he went off to prepare a place. That's why you hear that terminology in Scripture. However, the bride is entrusted to the friend of the bridegroom. And so when Jesus hadn't yet appeared on the scene, John the Baptist was the one that was seen, and he referred to himself, I'm merely a friend of the bridegroom. And so the Hebrew culture understood his position. There is one coming, and he's the one you want to see. Not me, said John. Not me. I'm unfit to even untie his sandals. I have no business in his presence. This is Christianity, by the way. Any position you take in ministry, any position you take in politics, any position you take in counseling, any position you take in any type of business activity, any social influence that you have, You are merely a friend of the bridegroom. Do not get in the way. Do not cloud people's view of Jesus Christ, the all in all. Your job, as John said, when he comes, you decrease. Why? So that he can increase. That is Christianity. Okay, let's look at a Hebrew word. Yats. Okay, and on blueletterbible.com, they always have the pronunciation for it. I always... I don't have the Hebrew, you know, they have some type of thing in their their language. I can never do it, okay? But this is yats. And the guy always says it that way. Any of you that ever heard a blue letter Bible, he's like, "Uh, Strong's G, (laughs) yats. It's like, could you have a little personality in your voice, buddy, okay? So this is yats Uh, to advise, to consult, to give counsel. Uh, Counsel? (laughs) Purpose, devise, and plan. This is the word in the Hebrew for preparing for war. Ahithophel, the 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 uh, the, the counselor to the king. You have Hushe. You have these men that were literally known as the king's council. This is the concept, and God, it's also a concept of legal counsel. In other words, it's representation. You're. You're defenseless. You don't have what it takes. And so your counsel stands up and he intercedes for you. He's the strong man to defend. He has the wisdom that is needed. You have someone in your life known as the wonderful, comma, counselor. Capital C. He is the one with all wisdom, all knowledge, all position. Both legally and practically in your life to solve every dilemma you could possibly face. Why in the world wouldn't we turn to him? The heavenly war council. And you'll notice council is actually spelled differently than this. But I put it in because I wanted you to realize the word council, it means a group of counselors. And so I just wanted you to see it. So this is, and also the other thing I wanted to emphasize is this is what council is. It is a war council. You are being trained and equipped. If any church ever just comes around you and keeps hugging you, And keep saying, oh, I know how difficult this life is. Oh, I know how hard it is because we're all living in sin. And oh, they are not giving you good counsel. Because counsel leads you to be effective in war. They say, stand up, stick on the armor of God. You have been equipped. The weaponry of of heaven is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, what you should be getting in the counsel of believers is a direct line back to Jesus Christ. And talking about his triumph, his majesty, and his victory. And that he causes all things, all all saints, to triumph in all things. That is his manner, okay? And so that's why I wanted you to see this, because heavenly war council, we're not talking about a body of people here. We're talking about one, Jesus. He is your heavenly war council. So council CIL would be a group he's one he's the counselor and he is your heavenly war counsel okay let's read a, a scripture about that i will bless the lord who have given me counsel my reigns also instruct me in the night seasons did you just read just study the concept of counsel in the old testament it's great i mean god is our counselor david was constantly turning to the counsel of god every situation where did he turn not just to his earthly counselors. He turned to God, to his word. What does God say in his law? What does God say? What does God say? That should be the question constantly going through your soul. What does God say on the matter? I don't care what the earth says. I care what God says. All right, in a time of need, The typical human responses are as this, okay? We have a need. We have a problem. We're in a quagmire. We're in a difficulty. We're feeling this oppression. We're feeling this depression. Whatever it is, all of us understand it. We've all had our issues, and some of you are lugging in your issues with you today. This is humanity. We are in the midst and the throes of a battle. But in your time of need, what are you doing? Because this is where we need to change things. And let's change it today. And let's establish a new pattern today. You know how it says that habits are formed over like 28 repetitions? Then you have someone else that goes, I think I heard 26 repetitions. Then you have someone else go 30 repetitions. It's somewhere in that range. Okay, 25, 32 repetitions. Suddenly, you begin to establish a new habit. Well, the Christian life has a dimension like this too. Where you're not used to turning to God. You're used to turning to your medication. You're not used to turning to God, you're used to turning to a movie. You're not used to turning to God, you're used to turning to your magazines. You want to turn up volume in your life, and you're not used to going into stillness and listening to God's counsel. You're not used to turning to the Word of God and saying, God, what do you say on the matter? You're used to turning to someone else who you esteem their their ideas and their wisdom. You turn to men, even if they're wise men, even if they're godly, instead of to God himself. And all I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with talking to a godly person. But... You seek God as your primary. Where do you turn in a time of need? So let's look at the typical human responses self. The old human brainstorm. Okay, I, I'm really good at brainstorming. You have an issue. The first thing that many of us do is we start thinking it through. We start evaluating, we look at it, all the you know, cause effect issues around it. We're trying to figure out a solution. What are we turning to? We're turning to ourselves. We have an issue, and instead of immediately turning in prayer and saying, God, this is your issue. You're bigger than it. You can see more than I can see. I trust you. You give me wisdom to walk through this. It doesn't mean God won't use your mental faculties. He will. But he wants you to always default to turning to him and leaning and being dependent in your reasoning and also reasoning from the word as opposed to reasoning from your own intellect and your own experience because your experience stinks, your experience is not trustworthy. His word is proven. It's been tried. It has been purified. And it is ready to help you. Your intellect is not. Unless it is drawing its resource and its, it, what it has to work with. It's raw materials from the word of God. So self is one of the common places we turn. Flesh. We drown our problem in sin. Well, there's all sorts of ways we do it you know but we turn to something that's just going to sort of cause us to just sink into our flesh and it feels good it's comforting whatever it is whether it's music we just want to turn the music up real loud and just 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 have our body shake with it whatever it is we turn and we drown ourselves whether it's alcohol whether it's drugs we stimulate something we go into a fog and we we disappear in our flesh and in our comforts oftentimes even knowing we shouldn't but we don't know what else to do. I mean, this is hard. God should know. God should know this is hard, and I don't have a choice but to turn to my flesh. Physicians. You have a problem, the first thing you do, turn to a physician. I mean, if it's a physical ailment, obviously they're the ones that you know, are on earth to take care of that. I'm not saying physicians are bad at all. But we, any more than human faculty is wrong. The flesh has some good aspects to it, by the way. Appetite, our sexuality, those are all parts of our flesh, but they shouldn't be a lead instrument. They should be a responding instrument in our life to the Spirit of God. They are under harness to the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean God doesn't want you to eat, for instance. He loves it when you eat. But your eating should not be out of control and to, to, for gluttony and for self-comfort. You do not turn to your stomach, to your sexuality, for any type of answer to life's problems. People do, all the time. Parents. Now, what we could also say is parents, spouse, friends. We depend on people near us. If we have a problem, it's just like, where's my mom? Where's my mom? My mom always deals with these things in my life. Oh, my dad is always the one that puts gas in my car, and I just don't know what to do here. We have issues in our life, and we find ourselves dependent upon someone else. And I just want you to know, when you're a little kid, that's, that's normal. That's good. It's healthy. But a, a healthy parent, for instance, knows how to train a child to become dependent upon the all-in-all, Jesus Christ. So that in any situation, no matter how difficult it is, they turn to Jesus because he is the answer. A parent's limited. I can only help my children so much. My way of helping my children is turning them to Jesus. Now, when they're young, they have to come to a parent. That is part of the model. But you're training them to learn how to be dependent upon someone bigger than you, to be dependent upon Jesus Christ. Darkness. We consult a counterfeit power. We do it all the time. Well, I shouldn't say you do it all the time. People do it all the time. They want something that would have a sense of strength, a sense of power that can try and match what is coming against them. But they turn and they consult something of darkness as opposed to something of light. There's only one thing of light that we're supposed to turn to, Jesus Christ and his word. It's very clear in Scripture. If you turn to anything outside of that, it's not Jesus Christ. It's a counterfeit of it. Anything that would masquerade as light. So let's let's use an illustration here with these things. You're a lamb. Now, we talked about this this weekend. Lambs are weak. Okay? They have no potential, no strength of their own to be able to tackle the wolves in their life. Yet God sends us out as sheep among wolves. This is a bad situation for us, potentially, because it doesn't look good. The odds are really not in our favor to win. Okay? You, you, you match a wolf against a lamb in one of those like rings, you know, where, you know, cockfight types of things, but now it's a, it's a lamb and a wolf. And the wolf is going to literally eat. For dinner, that lamb. The lamb doesn't even have a chance. And God sends us out as lambs. And so here you are going, Oh man, I'm a lamb. I have, I'm surrounded by wolves. What am I going to do? Should you turn to self? Should you turn to flesh? Should you turn to the physicians, your parents, your friends, your spouse? Should you turn to darkness? What are you going to do? Okay, let's, let's go through these. Self. Is this a wise thing for a lamb to do? Okay, the lamb is sitting there, postured in a, a battlefront situation against a wolf. How many of you would say, if you could truly see globally on this, yeah, I think that lamb has enough in and of itself to go after that wolf. Go, go lamb. <laughs> That's stupidity. There's a shepherd standing right here. If you are a friend of that lamb, what would you say to him? No, 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 no hey, stop, stop. Do not try and take on that wolf by yourself. You stay next to your shepherd. He's the only one that can defeat him. That's heavenly wisdom. I know it makes total sense to you right now because you're seeing it. You're seeing globally right now. But when you're in the fray, for some reason, you turn to yourself and say, okay, I'm going to have to beat it this time. I'm going to have to beat him this time. You never will. Victory in Christianity will never come through that route. The flesh. If this little lamb decides to drown himself in alcohol, and he's like, glug, 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 glug. And he's like, oh. is that at all staving off the wolf. Do you think the wolf is like, oh no, I don't want to touch him now. (laughs) He's dinner that night. The moment that little lamb becomes inebriated with his flesh, he turns to his flesh, he loses all sense of guardedness, that enemy moves in and conquers. Many of you have been in that situation. You turn to the flesh because you wanted to escape the situation. But I'll tell you right now, escaping the situation doesn't solve your problem. It actually progresses it. God does not ever prescribe you turning to the flesh. The enemy, in his great manipulative power and his lying deceit, always will tell you, this is the solution for you right now. You deserve it. You don't deserve all this. Look what God's doing to you. Turn to your flesh. Give a little season of of, of self-pleasure. I mean, you deserve it. God will understand. That's not Christianity. Physicians. Okay, imagine that someone has you know, a little bottle of pills for you. Say the enemy, the, the wolf is gnawing on your arm and you have you know, all these bite marks. You know, and you turn to the physician, I have all these bite marks and they really hurt. And so the, the physician you know, pumps morphine into your body. Is that solving your problem? Because guess what? The wolf come back, comes back the next day and eats off your left arm. Oh, I got bite marks over here, more morphine. You do not need medication to solve your issues, and I'm not gonna make some statement against medication that prescription drugs are totally evil. I'm saying when we turn to them, when we turn to them as our solution, something is out of order in our life. That is not your solution. It doesn't solve the deeper root problem, and that is the wolf is eating you for dinner. God has a solution, and it's in the shepherd. The shepherd is your solution. Don't medicate a little lamb when you could be turning him to the shepherd. That's my point. I know I might ruffle some feathers with that, or some uh, fur with that. Parents, leaders, spouses, friends. There's nothing wrong with this. This is actually a positive thing that God loves to use in the community of believers, in your family, in your home. However, could you imagine a little lamb, and here's all the rest of the flock over here? Here's the shepherd. In a time of need, there's a time of crisis. The wolf is coming. Instead of turning to the shepherd, he does a very strange thing. And he turns to the flock and says, what should I do? You see anything wrong with this? If you are healthy and you're in the flock, what should you do? Take him in and surround him and say, you're safe with us. What should a good sheep do to help another sheep? You direct him right back to the shepherd. That's counseling. That's counseling. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's how you comfort someone. Every human issue is related to sin. None of us have special issues. I know we all fe- feel we do, because the enemy is always telling you, that's a special issue. This is a really special issue that you have. You can't deal with it in normal ways. It's not prayer that deals with this issue. This is a special issue. Every issue is a, an issue that flows out of sin. And so the remedy for it is the sin eater is the one who destroys it, is the one who pummels it, is the one who has defeated it. This is the one. This is your answer. It is Jesus Christ. Darkness. Consult a counterfeit power. A wolf comes in, you know, and he's he's dressed in nice white outfit. And he says, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I can help you defeat that other wolf over there. We fall for it. Why in the world would we ever fight? He's a wolf, just like this wolf. He's just talking nicer. He's coming in and he has the same agenda. Any wolf, wolves are cunning. Any wolf, he's going to come in and he's going to act like he has a different agenda. And that agenda is to prosper you, is to help you fight that other wolf. And I want you to know that wolf will eat you in the end. There is no one on your side that is not directing you to the shepherd. Anyone that gives you counsel, that takes you anywhere else, is not on your side. They're on the side of darkness, even though they're unwitting. Remember when Peter said, no, don't go into Jerusalem. Don't die. I won't allow it. What does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's like, (laughs) well, he was a messenger, not because he didn't love Jesus, but we ourselves, Christians, we can mouth the very words of hell to our friends and to other believers and to other sheep. I wouldn't turn to the shepherd in this situation. I'd try this. I I did this a few years ago. It really worked for me. The only thing that is the answer for the ills of mankind is Jesus Christ. In every situation, we turn to him. The Hebrews 4.16 verse. Okay, in context, listen to this. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have a time of need, there's grace for it. And grace is not just the hug of God, by the way. You do a study on grace, one of my favorite themes to study. It is the mighty power of God given to the saints of God to enable them to carry out the errands of God. It is the equipment you need to live life right. And he has grace for you to help you in the time of need. It's the shepherd that does. All these other things are counterfeits. The first turn. The scripture in Isaiah. There is no God else beside me. A just God and a savior. There is none beside me look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else there is nothing else that can be God in your life there is nothing else that can satisfy there's nothing else that can solve there is nothing else that can deal with the root problem of sin in your existence there is only one and he's the one we're talking about today Jesus Christ you're all in all Let's look at this next scripture, Second Chronicles 16. This is a very sobering scripture because Asa was an amazing king. God brags about Asa. But then look at the very last statement of his life. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the 1 and 40th year of his reign. Sort of a sad statement to finish with. But what a telling statement. A man who always turned to God suddenly in this crippling issue in his life, he turned to the physicians and not unto the Lord. I'm not saying physicians are bad. That's a hard thing to not interpret through what I'm saying. However, because I don't... I mean, Luke was a physician for that matter. Jesus is considered the great physician. I think that we could easily be an extension of the great physician on earth. However, a great physician... And the human form is one who leads people to the true physician. It's one who is a conduit to say, you need help? I know who has it for you. That's a physician. You have ailments? I want to lead you to the one who created the human body. I want to show you what his pattern and his plan is for health. You lead them always to the shepherd. You never become an end in and of yourself. Parakletos, if I was to do it according to that. Parakletos. It means the advocate, the intercessor, the rescuer, the helper, the counselor, the comfort bringer. Who's the parakletos in Scripture? Some of you have seen the word. Let's go to John 14 because some of you know the answer. You're jumping on top of it too quickly. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is going to leave. It's a bad idea. The shepherd. It's like leaving. Okay, all the sheep are like, uh, we're, we're sort of vulnerable here, you know, uh, because as long as you're around, we're safe, but you're saying you're going. Okay, you're going to be with the Father. How is this good? Because he actually says, it's better for you that I go. Uh, how is it better for us that, that you're going? Uh, you know, it, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Listen to what Jesus says. And I pray, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's a paracletos. He will give you a parakletos. He will give you an intercessor. He will give you a rescuer. He will give you someone who will help you. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You have a Parakletos. You have a Helper. The most amazing thing, because you could say, Well, we need to be near the physical Jesus. If he had just stayed on this earth, then our, our shepherd would be within reach and we could all just crowd around him. He says, I have a better plan. I'm going to send my very presence into your life. And I will be a parakletos for you. I will be a helper from within. And I will give you strength. I will give you courage. I will make you bold when you must be bold. I will make you sensitive and full of compassion and love when you must have it. I will give you words to speak when you stand before the authorities. I will do it for you. I will be your parakletos. He has not left us as orphans. He did not abandon us as sheep amongst a whole bunch of wolves. He's right in the midst of us, Emmanuel, inside of us. It's extraordinary. You abide in the parakletos. You abide in the reality of your intercessor. You abide in his help. You always turn to him. That's what you just look at it in the most simple way. Instead of turning outward, when you have a need, you abide. You cling to your intercessor, to your parakletos. He is your answer in all situations. The danger of the special situation. I want to read the very end of this Isaiah passage, which is verse uh, 28. Could you go to the, the scripture? The very end. There is none that showeth, yea, there is none that declareth, yea, there is none that heareth your words. Could you go to the next one? For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. There is no human on this earth, that can give you God's answers. You know who can give you God's answers? God. Because they're his answers. The only thing we can do is point to God's answers. We can give him as the answer. When we turn to men and we say, do you have an answer for me? They're lying through their teeth if they say, this is my wisdom, and then they give you God's wisdom. It's God's wisdom that saves. We're only messengers of it. So the healthiest minister is one that is always saying, thus saith the Lord. This is what he says, and this is why you should believe it, because it's the voice of the shepherd, and he wants to protect you. He wants to build you strong. He wants to make you mighty. Thus saith the Lord. The danger of the special situation. You do not have a special situation. I know that sounds unfeeling, I know that sounds ridiculous because I don't know your circumstances. It's like, well, if he knew my circumstances, he wouldn't say that too quickly. You know, I had parents that did this. I, I had this upbringing. You live in a fallen world and you have sin. Sin has ravaged you, sin has affected you. You live in a world that is hostile to everything we're talking about right now. Everything. This world does not want anyone to turn to Jesus Christ as a solution. They want him to turn to them. They want the world to be the answer. They want to find satisfaction in this world. Because if we have to believe that there's a God, that means that there's something higher than us. And we don't want to submit to it. There's nothing in this world that is going to help you come in this direction except for the Spirit of God, that parakletos that we just talked about. And that parakletos is stirring within your soul right now. And he's saying, come to me. I am the answer for you in all situations. Don't negate what I am saying because of a special situation. One of the most dangerous things the enemy tries to pawn off on the church of Jesus Christ is, well, this this is a little different. There's nothing, nothing that falls outside the pale of Jesus as the answer. Nothing. The misuse of ministry. If you represent Jesus Christ, you have a ministry. You know, it might not seem very big. In fact, you don't have anyone that you're influencing maybe yet. But you have a ministry because you're a bearer of the name of God. You're calling yourself by his name. People are going to come to you because they're going to, they're going to find out that you have the words of life, that you have the substance, that something is different about your life. You see, you have a Paracletos for you. So therefore, the wolf is not able to devour you the way he's devouring them. They want to know what you have. But there is a propensity, and I want to forewarn you about this. There's a propensity to become the parakletos for them, to become their helper, to become the end solution. We like people to depend on us. We like people to need us. Oh, it feels good, and it strokes us. It makes us feel wonderful. So many leaders take a position and then gain a dependency from their body. And then you could ask anyone in the church, why do you believe this? I'm not exactly sure, but my pastor says it. A healthy leadership is always leading people back. Don't trust me. Trust him. And if I violate anything he says, throw me out, not him. Anything I say must lead you to him. If it doesn't lead you to him, then there's something wrong, not with him, with me. If I'm a messenger, if I'm a minister of the gospel, my primary job is to constantly push you towards Jesus Christ. And if you sense that you're being pushed in any other direction, immediately question it. Wait a minute, that doesn't feel like Jesus Christ. That doesn't, that's not directing me to him. That's coming up with a different solution than Jesus Christ for my issue. Let's uh, read this scripture in Acts real quick. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Boy, that would be a rough thing to hear. Do not enter into the Christian world with an agenda to gain fame for yourself. John the Baptist is your role. You are a friend of someone greater. And you are to be, as we could call, you can put the next slide up, a mini paracletos. You are called to be one who diminishes to increase, but you are to be a helper. You have been given hands to do something with, and these are the body of, this is the body of Christ. You are his extension to this world. This mouth is to be used. You're not supposed to be just silent going, oh, I can't say anything because I don't want to get in the way of him. You are supposed to say something. You are supposed to do something, but you are only supposed to do things that draw people to him. This is about his glory and not your own. If it ever becomes about your glory, you are arch enemy number one of the church of Jesus Christ in this generation. You are the problem, not the solution. The solution is Jesus. That is why we all must carry this to him. Your ministry that God is going to be growing in your life, because he has a ministry for every single one of you, is to be a mini parakletos. You are to lead people to him. You are to be a helper of the helper. And that helper, if you're in the flock, and one of those sheep turns to you and says, I I need help, I need a parakletos right now, You say, um, I'm a mini paracletos, but the real paracletos is who I work for. And so I'm really not that good at this, but I can at least do one thing for you, and that is turn you this way and give you a shove. There's our role as ministers of the gospel. That doesn't mean we can't know things. It doesn't mean we shouldn't study. It doesn't mean we shouldn't understand. That is how we push people this way. We build our soul strong in the truth of Jesus Christ. We spend time in his presence, and the result of that is we are effective at taking sheep and bringing them to their shepherd, to the true parakletos. Let's go to the next one. What? Now we, I don't even know what this, oh, there's another scripture there. This is merely to show you what I was saying. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort which is the word in the Bible typically to deal with the old surrounding and and being a listening ear, which we use for comfort today, or for counsel today, which means encourage and console the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. What I'm saying with this is, yes, we are to be mini paracletoses. We are to be helpers. We're not just supposed to say, no, I can't help you because Jesus is the only one that can help you and we walk the other way. Well, that's a deeply disturbing thought in the opposite direction. That's just as erroneous. We are his body. So we are to do the work of Jesus, but as John the Baptist said, I must decrease. This is not about me. This is about the real paracletos. This is about the true bridegroom. I'm merely a friend. All right. What of the multitude? And What I mean by that is the multitude of counsel. Remember that scripture? Well, in the multitude of counsel. So what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to turn to all of you and say, what do you think? Let's read the scripture in Proverbs. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. What do we do with this? Should we always turn outward? Do you see it? What I want to say is that this is a very truthful statement. It's the Word of God. It is true that in the multitude of counsel, you are prepared for war. But here's what I'd like you to understand this is Eric Ludi's strong statement on this point. There are a lot of Christians in this world that have very bad counsel. The fact that they are Christians, the fact that they are older than you, doesn't mean that you should submit yourself to their voice and say, whatever you say, you submit to the word of God. And if you want a multitude of counselors, there's 66 books. There are 40 voices in the word of God, 40 different authors. You turn to God as your primary multitude. Because he has a plethora of men throughout the ages that have stood strong for truth, and they want to speak to you. That's the first place you turn. It does not mean you shouldn't surround yourself with godly men or godly women. You know what those godly men and those godly women should do? They should always push you back. That's how you test your counselors. Where are they driving you? Do they drive you to the word of God? Do they drive you to the highness and the ability of your God to rescue you? Or do they draw you away from that? Do they draw you to themselves? Are they creating a dependency upon themselves? Test it before you submit to it. First thing I tell Ellerslie students is that. Don't trust me. Trust the word. I'm going to tell you a lot of things, but you must test them. Where am I taking you? Am I taking you to Jesus? Am I taking you to a greater confidence in His Word? Or am, I, or am I leading you away? If I lead you away, you leave Ellerslie. Well, that's scary. Well, I better stay true to what I'm talking about. I am nothing more than a mini Parakletos, and so are you. We are leading people to our all in all. I love that. Let's pray.